Beloved congregation of the Lord, would, would you read with me again in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 3. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. When we would speak of what true Christianity is, we can, of course, talk about different teachings and doctrines. We sometimes do that. We talk about confessing our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed, for example, the doctrines taught in the Bible. But where we come to a passage like this, we are reminded that Christianity is not merely about doctrines. While they have their place, they are subservient to the higher purpose of bringing us into fellowship with a person. Christianity is about a person. And as Peter has been laboring to communicate gospel tidings to the church diaspora or pilgrims throughout that land of Asia Minor, I trust we've seen throughout this series on the book of First Peter that Christ has been preeminent, the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here as well, in this verse, it is the Lord Jesus Christ that is in view. Of course, that Greek word kurios, or Lord, is sometimes used by the New Testament authors to refer to Jehovah God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit without distinction. And yet, where Peter used it previously in the chapter earlier, he used that word Lord, kurios, in a special way of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, kurios, Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus Christ is in view in this verse. And also in a special way in the verses that follow, we will consider in detail in the, in the weeks to come that this one, the Savior Jesus Christ, is the elect cornerstone of the great church that is being erected and constructed. But before transitioning to that point, he concludes this section about Christian love by bringing us back to the source and fountain of all of our love, all of our piety, all of our Christian graces, the Lord Jesus Christ. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. There is a vivid experience described here. An experience known only to the elect of God, only to the true child of God, the true believer. All others are strangers to it. I wish to entitle 
the sermon, the experience of grace, the experience of grace. And as we see how this grace is experienced in communion with Christ, we will see it is, in this verse, declared, discerned, and desired. Declared, discerned, and desired. The experience of grace. As I say, he's concluding his section on Christian love, and I trust this has been a searching thing for us. Who can measure up to the high standard of Christianity where it is held forth here? True love for the brethren and abstaining from these sins that are mentioned in verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings. Yes, the church is to be free from such things, free from evil speakings, free from ill motives, hatred and anger, sinful anger towards our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And in verse 2, he continues on this theme of the true Christian who has this love as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. And we saw that spiritual growth, advancing in the way of growth, holiness, manifesting this Christian love, well, it is through the word of God, through the scriptures, that the Holy Spirit is pleased to apply this spiritual growth. And now, in that exhortation in its context, desire the sincere milk of the word. He adds this attached um, verse. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, where an English speaker would use a conditional sentence like this, if, if, they may be raising a question, is this really so? Perhaps Peter is leaning in at this point and saying, is it really true, Christians, that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious? But in the Greek and in our translation as well, it's not to be taken so. Rather, it is assuming and indeed affirming and declaring that this is so. Since this is certainly so, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, then Indeed, desire the sincere milk of the word. That's the context, that's the frame of this exhortation. We must taste that the Lord is gracious as true Christians. It is the mark of true Christians. But here it is not in the context of an exhortation, but in a declaration. This is so. It is true of every Christian. The dividing line is given. Dr. Gill points out uh, in this connection, by the Lord is meant the Lord Jesus Christ, as the following words show, who is gracious and amiable and lovely in his person, who has a fullness of grace in him for his people, has displayed his grace towards them and engaging for them as a surety in assuming their nature, obeying, suffering, and dying in their stead. He is gracious in his word and promises, truth and ordinances, and in all his offices and relations. And regenerate persons have tasted 
that he is so. I think Dr. Gill is giving a good lay of the land there, of the nature of what's being said here. Not just that Christ is these things objectively, but those who are regenerate, born again, they have experienced it. They have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ through and in this glorious person. And here, of course, he is uh, quoting from Psalm 34, verse 8. Peter, of course, loves the Old Testament. We've seen that virtually every verse has some relation to an Old Testament context or quotation. And so also here, as we read from Psalm 34, verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. So you notice that uh, whereas our uh, King James translates it good in the Hebrew, it's gracious in the Greek. And where you look at the Greek and Hebrew words, they both have that range of meaning. They're both in that cluster of significance that we see the goodness and the grace of God manifested. But the specific sense of it is the suitability of God to provide blessing, joy, and happiness to his people. And Psalm 34, seeming to apply to Jehovah and without distinction of one or another divine person, Here, the apostle applies it specifically to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is gracious. If so be, have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Perhaps this quotations from the Proverbs will be helpful to us children. I wonder, do you like honey at all? Do you ever have honey on your toast or Maybe even mom or dad would give you a spoonful of honey. I think you might like that, right? Really sweet on your lips. That would be really nice. Well, the Proverbs talks about honey in this way. In Proverbs 24, verse 13. My son, eat thou honey, because it is good in the honeycomb which is sweet to thy taste. Well, you must like that verse, children. The Bible is telling you to eat honey. Well, it's not just saying to eat honey, though. Read the next verse. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto thy mouth. When thou hast found it, then there shall be a reward, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. So the true wisdom of God, which in the context of Proverbs is the wisdom that comes through Jesus Christ, it is sweet, it is desirable, it is good to the soul of the believer. There is an experience here that is being spoken of. Listen to Dr. Gill again. Such have a saving and experience sorry, experimental knowledge of Christ, an application of him and his saving benefits to them, a revelation of him in them so that they find and feel that he dwells in them and they in him. Such receive out of Christ's fullness and grace for grace and live by faith upon him 
and receive nourishment from him. That's common with the older writers, speaking of experimental knowledge. Not just knowledge that's in your mind as as though it were just a series of facts that you're memorizing, like a a series of um, phone numbers or information. No, we're talking here about something that performs, as it were, an experiment, testing us, finding what is our spiritual condition before the Lord. Is this for real? And are we for real? Also, our father spoke of experimental knowledge. Today, uh, perhaps it's more common to speak of experiential knowledge. Not just of the head, but of the heart and the whole soul and life. It must know something of Jesus Christ in this way, where we taste his goodness, not with the lips and the mouth and the tongue of the body, but with our souls and hearts. There is this kind of acquaintance with the Lord Jesus Christ. Really, we take this one illustration of the of the honey, but but really any kind of suitability may be in view as the uh, as the commentator Dr. Gill said. It's really all that Christ is and all that he has done, both in suffering and dying on our behalf, in bestowing a perfect righteousness unto God for his people, being our representative, and he granting the fullness of the Holy Spirit to be poured forth on his church without measure, drawing each one of his elect people unto the fellowship with himself. And striking at the same word for good, good is, is also used in one of the most famous gospel invitations that the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly of heart. And ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. So the word easy, which denotes the opposite of burdensome, the opposite of uh, trying to you. No, it's easy, it's light, and, and so there's a suitability of Christ to the sinner. That he fulfills all that could be needed for our salvation. And so we must know his yoke to be easy. We must know Christ to be suitable to us, that, that he fits our needy souls like a hand fits into a glove. And this must not only be known in the abstract, but, but in our own experience. So such, thus far, we've seen something here about it's declared. This is true. And, and hopefully we've at least got a bit of a handle on, on what is described here. But now I want to speak about it being discerned, discerned. Because you understand, I'm, I'm sure, if, if you've been thinking about these things as I'm talking, what an important thing it is to know whether this is true of ourselves. Peter, I'm sure, was aware that among all of those churches, among 
all those scattered congregations throughout Asia Minor, that not each and every one of them, head for head, was indeed regenerated, born again, or even appointed to eternal life. There were wheat and tares. There was a mixed multitude, but as he commonly does, he, according to the judgment of charity, dresses them corporately as the genuine people of God, and he will continue to do so. But as we would apply this rightly, and we would consider it in a very personal way for each one of us, then I would exhort you as your pastor to indeed search your heart and see, is it the case with you? Have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? Do you have the experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, in order to help you with that, I wish to seek to give you some, uh, some biblical teaching on this subject of discerning, discerning whether we have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And the first thing I would say is that there is a close connection here to the means of grace. The means of grace. We saw that, didn't we? It's attached to that exhortation, desire, the sincere milk of the word. And so the train of thought is that as you are uh, absorbing the word of God in your souls, like a newborn babe does milk, you should be tasting and experiencing not bare facts, not bare truths, but Christ himself as he is applied unto your soul and as you receive him daily in his benefits and in his grace. You see, sometimes where we would be seeking to discern our state of grace humbly and prayerfully, there can be a kind of inner turmoil. We're looking for something really dramatic. And sometimes we don't even know what we're looking for. Sometimes we think, well, I'm not glowing in the dark, or I haven't seen a great voice speaking from heaven, or I I haven't seen like a bolt of lightning come at me. Well, obviously, that is not what is necessary to discern that you are in a state of grace, that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. It's connected to the means of grace, after all, the word of God. The word of God is not confusing. It is, we could say, beyond our reason, but it is not irrational. God is not the author of confusion. He's not seeking to confuse you. He would have you to know with certainty your state of grace today, whether you are in Christ or yet lie in the state of death. And how is it? Well, it's attached to your relationship to the word of God. The relationship to the word of God as one of those means of grace. Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are they are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Indeed, it might be that out of just a bare fascination with the interesting subject matter of the Bible... You might be able to nod your head and say, yeah, that's true. I do find the word of God to be sweet to the taste, so to speak. But is it for this reason? Is it because you find Christ there? You hear the word of Christ. Here is your Savior. 
And it's not just the words on the page. It's not just so many doctrines. No, this is where you meet with your blessed Jesus. It's for that reason, believer, surely, that your high value upon the means of grace in the assembly of the church is so precious to you. At Psalm 34, which we Already read, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Is that your attitude? You're coming here and it's not just a routine, not just a pattern. No, you want to exalt the name of the Lord and you say to all those whom you love, come with me. Let us exalt his name together. And as you see that you are united in this common cause and call into worship and serve the Lord, your love for the Lord, it overflows unto all your brothers and sisters. You indeed embrace all the people of God and all those who fear him in this common love. It's all connected to the means of grace, you see. The worship of God, the word of God, your daily prayers, using those things which Christ has appointed. So we don't want to separate these things and just have you sitting in a closet somewhere. Have I tasted or not? No, it's in the way of using the means, friend. Use the means. But I want to go a little bit further than this and speak of that this is most personal, personal, experiential knowledge of Christ. Listen to Dr. Gill again. He just had so many good thoughts. I wanted to share some of them. In conversion, a new taste is given so as to have a saving experiential knowledge of the grace and goodness of God in Christ, an application of it to them, and in such manner as to live upon it and be nourished by it. Now, whatever else we may be talking about, it is not just the the grace of Christ in the abstract, but its application to them, the believers, or to you that we are seeking to discern. Has the grace of Jesus Christ been applied to you? So where the gospel comes to you, is it just a very abstract sort of thing? Yes, Christians in general, believers in general, or is it... You, you that you see in that gospel, that he is not only a savior to others, but to me also. It's a high thing, a high thing to be able to have Christ as our savior, to know him to be such, to claim him and to confess him as such. But this is what in some measure we are wanting. Psalm 34, again, verse 4 I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. Don't think about these things in the abstract, friend, but rather think about it in this way. Christ is such a glorious person. You, like the 
like the psalmist, could speak of yourself as that poor man, as that one who is in need of deliverance. And so it's the consciousness of that that we're looking for. Is it just so many words, or can you say, yes, I need him. I can't live without him. I am unworthy, sinful, despairing, and dying in my misery apart from him. But where he is present, oh, there is joy, there is peace, there is salvation. I was reading about uh, some of these things from the Puritan John Owen this week, and he said that one of the marks of those who are in such a state of grace is that their various lowest point, the thing that makes them most miserable when they are lacking assurance of their salvation, is not in, even that they will go to hell, but they will be without Christ. Strong thing, and a searching thing. If, if it could be revealed could be revealed that you were outside of a state of grace, would that really be the one thing that would most irk you, that would most pain you and fill you with sorrow? Not that you would be punished forever, but you would be without of his, his presence, out of his joy, out of his favor. You would not behold the glory of God in him. You would not have that communion with your Jesus. So believer, is there something that resonates there? You cannot be without him. It's not just words. It is personal. There's another word we can use to discern this. It is satisfying. Satisfying. And this is what comes out in that psalm we read, isn't it? That there's something so supremely satisfying about the knowledge of Christ in the gospel personally applied to your soul. Psalm 34, verse 9, O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want, no need to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. You also think of that famous words from Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Oh, we say we, we have much Want, much lack, much need. Surely we have much afflictions that we carry with us, much sorrows, much regrets, much fears. But through it and at all, Christian, is there this, that Christ is with you. And so whatever cross he has you to carry, there is something sweet in it. For you know it's appointed for your good, for your sanctification, for your conformity unto him. That indeed all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. You have Christ. Would you trade him for anything? Would you trade him for all the riches of this world, for all of your dreams and accomplishments and goals? If you lacked Christ and you had all those other things, could you be even the least content? Psalm 63, verse 5, My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Such can only be said where your delight and satisfaction is in Christ above all. 
Listen to Matthew Henry. We must taste that he is a bountiful benefactor. Relish the goodness of God in all his gifts to us and reckon that the savor and and reckon that the savor and sweetness of them. Let, let God's goodness be rolled under the tongue as a sweet morsel. Satisfying. And so the opposite of that is what? Not uh, superficial. If it is to be satisfying, this can't be a superficial tasting that we're talking about. I'd ask you to turn briefly to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6 verse 4. One of the most terrifying warning passages in the whole Bible, Hebrews 6, verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put them to put him, I should say, put him to an open shame. Now, I just want to say a few things about that verse. You notice here that it is speaking about those who abandon Christ, who commit um, this terrible sin against the Holy Spirit by quenching all the pleadings of Christ in the gospel, all of his invitations and callings. They harden their heart to their own destruction. So these are people of whom there is to be no repentance, no restoration. They will go to hell forever when they die without Christ. It's an awful thing. And even those who have trampled the Son of God underfoot, they've, they have rejected this one that they once confessed. But I want you to notice how far they came. How far they came, because one can go fairly far, you see. It says that they were enlightened. They had some knowledge of the things of God. They tasted of the heavenly gift. There was some experience there, some experience of the gift of God in Christ and were partakers of the Holy Ghost. Not that they were regenerated as the elect of God, but those common operations of the Spirit of God bring some conviction, some impressions of the gospel, yet it only went so far. It was superficial, you see like that seed that was scattered upon the rocky soil. The roots just go down so far. But then the sun above, it causes that root to wither, for it is only going so deep. Superficial Christianity, superficial knowledge. And I think the the point there is that it is the opposite The opposite of that genuine tasting that the Lord is good. That that this is what is in view here. Consider what we read in Psalm 31 verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
There's a heartfelt, sincere delight and praise of the Lord. And there's a consistency throughout life. Your life is about the Lord. It's continuous, blessing him at all times. An utterly different character here. For the true Christian to live is Christ. And so to die is gain. But the superficial Christian who is content with some bare impressions of him is no Christian at all. And with this last one that is indeed connected with this whole subject of discerning, discerning whether we have tasted that the Lord is gracious, and that is repentance, repentance. It's striking that one of the few other cases where this word good or gracious is used is found in Another warning passage in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? There is goodness in God, and especially to those who are under the preaching of the gospel. Has he not shown goodness to you? Indeed, he has manifested that there is a willingness to save any sinner who will cast themselves on the mercy of God in Christ. Is there one here who has not done so? Can you really say after all the pleadings with you that you would despise his overtures of mercy? That this thing would not lead you to repent, to change your mind, to change your life, to get down on your knees and to plead that he would grant unto you this? Terrible. But it's not so with the true Christian. Oh, you believer, you know that where you have tasted that Christ is gracious, your appetite for the morsels of sin which the devil would entice you, it is It has gone away. You cannot sin and enjoy him. You cannot live in hatred, bitterness, anger, lying, lust, adultery. No such things are not befitting one who has tasted, tasted that the Lord is gracious and good. Psalm 34, verse 11. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days, that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Not just to desire peace, but to seek it, pursue it. There's a lot of overlap here. The speaking of guile, which Peter draws from as well from that Psalm 34, both in verse 1 and verse 3 of chapter 2 here. John Gill writes again, While unregenerate, their taste is vitiated. That means it's injured or, or impaired or, or dead. And remains unchanged. And sin is what they feed upon with pleasure. And so detest everything that is good. Why is it for you, dear one, that 
you have a true appetite for the word of God, a true longing for the things of Christ. Well, where that is so, it's because that appetite, that taste, that longing was given to you by the Spirit of God. I say to you, if these things are strange to you, if you do not understand what it is to truly desire Christ, to long for him above all else, then you must question your state of grace. So we've seen that there is, uh, there is this um, experience of grace discern, uh, declared and discerned. And now I would just speak in the third place briefly about it being desired. Desired. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Oh, indeed. I would plead with you in the name of Christ how willing he is to bestow this experience of grace. Much more willing to give than you are to receive. Much more willing to invite and plead than you are to ask for it. What could be more of an encouragement to us, whether for the first time or afresh, to taste, to taste. It's as though, children, you have this delicious honey and it's being held out just for you, right there on the spoon, being put right up to your lips. And and what's being said to you is just taste it, just taste it. Open your mouth wide and receive and know and experience that the Lord is gracious. Where Christ would so speak unto us, how can we harden our hearts? How can we resist his pleadings and calls? Oh, we must receive him in faith. Psalm 34, verse 8, O oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. Blessed is that man that trusteth in him. Trusting in true faith committing your whole heart and soul and life unto him, depending upon the sure word of God in Jesus Christ. He will grant blessing. He will grant salvation. But you are commanded to receive. Psalm 34, verse 18, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such that be of a contrite spirit. Oh, is your heart broken this morning? Are you sorrowful and beaten because of your terrible sins you've committed against the high throne of God? There is mercy here, sinner. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He is nigh. He is close. He is willing and able to save. Psalm 34, verse 22. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants. And none of them that trust in him shall be desolate or judged or condemned. Would you have peace in your conscience? Would you know that you may live and die happily? Commit yourself unto the Lord by trusting in him. He will redeem your souls both in life and eternity. He will never depart nor forsake. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Amen.